Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now, in the summertime, a lot of people get a chance to go on vacation. Maybe they go on a cruise, maybe they go to the beach, maybe they go hang out with friends, with family and things like that. And sometimes people will refer to a book as a beach read, like it's a great book to take with you on vacation and to uh, to celebrate the time away and also just to enjoy a fascinating story. And uh, my guest today has written a brand new book that will be perfect for this summer uh, if you're getting out and you need a great book to read on the beach, her name is Meg Mitchell Moore, and she has a background in journalism, also pursued a master's degree in English literature from New York University, and her latest book, Summer Stage, is available for pre-order now. She's a dog lover, a mom of teenagers, and lives in the beautiful coastal town of New, uh, let me get this straight, Newbury, Newburyport, Massachusetts, I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. And so anyway, Meg, thanks for being here today and um, give, sharing a little time to chat about story and about your new book. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, first of all, let me ask you, what would you say makes a good beach read book for you? Let's say that you're going to get away. And uh, what would you what do you look for in a great story? Yeah, it's funny. I feel like this question comes up every single summer. There's articles about <laughs> and what is a beach read? And the answer is different for every person, I think. I mean, this book happens to be, of all my books, probably the most beach ready because it takes place in a summer location. A lot of my books take place over the course of a summer. Um, and I think it's got a lot of, you know, lightness and joy to it while also having a plot. It, but that's not to say that all beach reads have to be like that. So for me, when I am going on vacation or going to the beach, I just want something that will keep me turning the pages, that will keep me interested, not too dark. Sometimes on vacation, I brought some really dark things and I'm like, oh, <laughs> why did I? Um, so maybe that, but some people like to read dark things at the beach. So I think it differs by person. And I think yeah. as long as you're reading while you're at the beach, it's a beach read. No, that's good. You probably... Um, wouldn't like some of my old, <laughs> some of my books, they're a little dark, but, but, yeah. um, but it's always fun when people kind of say, oh, it's a beach reading stuff. Like the thing is some people, um, and I appreciate your background and studying story and English literature and so on. So I've noticed that some people kind of like put it in, like, I don't know, air quotes. Oh, it's a beach read. Almost like they look down on it. Like it's not real literature if you want to read it hanging out with your friends. I don't love that. Like, I'm like, no, this is a great story. I love to read great stories. And, um, but it's, it's been interesting. I've sort of seen from certain quarters, sort of like looking down on, oh, it's genre fiction or it's a beach read or something like that. Like, well, literally that, why would you look at that as a negative thing? I love it. Yeah, no, I think you get that with a lot of genre fiction of all different yeah. genres. You're right about that. And it is interesting. And I think um, 
I think I always say just because it's easy to read doesn't mean it was easy to write. <laughs> because I think if you're going to make a story compelling to a wide audience and keep people's attention and appeal to many different people, you've done something amazing no matter yeah. what. You know, and some of these books that are considered more literary might not have that appeal. So, you know, I think um, I'm totally fine with the label of a beach read because beach reads tend to sell a lot in the summer. And that's what we're here to do is reach a lot of readers and sell a lot of books. So I'm okay with it, but I hear you. There is a little bit of a negative connotation to it. It's it's interesting. I don't know why people do that. Um, but uh, I mean, I don't have anything against any book, whatever genre it might be, literary, thriller, you know, mystery or whatever it might be, as long as it's engaging and it, you know, grabs my interest. Some books people have recommended to me and I'll read them and I'm like, I just can't get into this. It's like, I don't know. It's just not as intriguing. And um, so I love stories that have appeal. I always feel like there's different things that will draw us into a story. Sometimes it's a fascinating character. Sometimes it's an intriguing premise. Sometimes it's a sort of an engaging mystery. Uh, for you, when you were working on this story or some of your other books, what what is it that kind of brings you to the point of saying, that's a story that I really need to write? What draws you into the story that will also draw readers in? I think it's, for me, it's more often character and setting taken together than it is plot. And I sort of figure out the plot around that. I wish I were more sometimes more of a plotter where I thought, here's a book about a murderer who does a thing, whatever, something. And then I have the plot. And then it, that seems a little easier to me <laughs> because my way is really uncomfortable and takes many drafts to get it right. But I almost always start with the characters in the setting. For this particular book, it's set on Block Island, which is um, a small island off the coast of Rhode Island, where I set a book back in 2019 called The Islanders. And that book did really well. It was my first book with a new publisher. I had changed publishers and I wanted to revisit that setting and I wanted yeah. to revisit some of the characters. So I started writing about the same characters from that book. And I sent some pages to my editor and she said, we don't really need another book about these people. Um, <laughs> is great. Why don't you write about something else going on there? And I realized she was right about that. So I had a whole different story in mm. the same place. And some of the other characters come in a little bit and, and play a little bit of a part in the book, but they're not the main character. So for this particular book, I started with the setting and some of those characters. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, a lot of people don't think of setting as so vital to their stories or to the progression or sort of the genesis of the story. Um, how did you how do you find the connection between setting and character to be so strong? Um, sometimes I read a book and it's like, okay, you could literally pick this up from this to city and stick it in another city and nothing would really change that much. And so it doesn't seem like setting is as vital, but some books I read and I'm like, setting is super vital to this, this story. How do you find that those two ingredients to stories kind of propel you forward into the narrative? I do think set, for my book, setting is absolutely crucial. I'd say it's probably the, one of the main, most important parts of all of my books. And I think with all except for one, they're all set in New England, different parts of New England. So I think I'm a regional writer in that way, where it's really important to me to capture the specific places. I have written two books set in my actual town, Newburyport, which you pronounced correctly. Um, <laughs> I, here, I, uh, my last my book last summer um, takes place in Maine in a very it actually takes place in an actual house that belongs to a friend of mine. So that setting 
was so important to me because everything was built around that. Uh, so for my type of writing, setting is crucial, but I see what you're saying. There are books where they could be set anywhere because it's the plot that matters more or it's the characters that matter more. But um, I think in particular, having these books that I have, my last few set real, real summer settings, the setting is very important. It's important to get it right for the people who live there, for one thing, to, you know, to honor the place where they live, um, but also just to make it really colorful and feel like you are in an actual place. Now, you mentioned the idea of plotting out a book and almost that you sort of desired that maybe you could do that or, or do that. Uh, you may know, but I'm completely organic in, in what I write and how I write. And so I've had lots of people on the show. Some are plot pl plot driven, I guess, people. Some are more organic in the way that they approach it. Um, but it sounds like you're a little bit more organic. When, when you kind of start with a character and setting, where do what's the next thing that basically leads you into the story? Is there a dilemma? Is there a problem? Do you throw difficulties at your characters and see how they respond? Sort of talk us through a little bit of your process as far as once you have this fascinating character in this unique setting, where do things go from there for you? I think it's a little different for every book. For this particular, for summer stage, this this new book, um, it, it from the title, you can probably tell it takes place. Um, it, it involves a theater, a, a, a play that's mm -hmm. taking place over the summer. So I knew from the beginning I was building around that. So I guess I had the characters, the setting and the idea of summer theater. So once I had chosen the play, which is much to do about nothing, I knew that I was that was sort of my I had three acts of summer. I had the acts mm -hmm. of the play and I was sort of doing things in parallel. So it was a little, quote unquote, easier for this one <laughs> to put it, I guess. And I did try to talk it through with my editor a little more carefully first because we've had some books that had <laughs> needed a lot of revisions in the past for not being able to figure out some of that so we figured out a little bit more ahead of time um but my last summer book the one that that took place in Maine called Vacation Land that did not happen that way I had the characters I had the settings I had the situation and I had the end I knew what was going to happen in the very final scene and just to get to it just it was a lot of trial and error a lot. <laughs> Sometimes people will warn um, authors, they'll say, well, you need to plot out your story because you don't want to write yourself into a corner. And over the years, I've found that like literally some of the best ideas I've ever had have come when I've written myself into a corner. And that's where the biggest plot twists and things have come. And I always think it's strange that we would warn people against going to the place where the best ideas await them. And uh, yeah. so I'm a big proponent of letting the story, you know, um, inform kind of the writing process as you move forward. And but I'm always interested in finding out sort of how people, you know, unfold a story before them as they actually develop it. How important is tension and conflict to the stories that you're writing? It's important. It's definitely important because I think I don't have plot is not my I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like my books don't have a plot. They do have plots, but it is not because it's not the thing I started with. I have to make sure I'm I'm building all of that into it. So um, I did with summer stage. I did have some of that from the beginning. I knew there was going to be an actor and his ex-wife was playing. Uh, I mean, the actor who's a famous actor and I met a fictional famous actor is directing the play and his ex-wife, who's a famous actress, is playing the lead in the play. So I knew right there I had some sort of conflict and tension there. So I have, I certainly have it in um, the scenarios when I'm starting out, but I don't have it scene by scene until I really get into it. And then when I really get into it, that's where I, I 
have to figure it out through writing and rewriting, I think. Now, we are talking about plot a little bit. And and I know a lot of people might be listening, say, okay, okay, everyone talks about plot. When you think of this word or this idea of a plot, um, I've asked different people and I'm like, well, tell me what that means to you. Like, what is it just the progression of events? Is that all you're talking about? What in your mind, when you refer to the, I, an idea of like the plot, what what are you referring to? Is it is it the the journey the character takes through? Is it just a series of events? What? How do you conceptualize that idea of a plot? That's a great question. I conceptualize it just as what is going to keep the reader turning the pages. So mm-hmm. sort of the, the what will happen next of the book. So you have, you know, why people are doing what they're doing and where they're doing it. And all of that can be lovely to read about. But to keep moving forward, you need to say what will happen next. So mm-hmm. I think that's my driving, my driving force. That's yeah, interesting. I um I remember I was talking, I think, with Greg Hurwitz about this idea of plot. And so we somehow we got talking about Aristotle and Aristotle in poetics had mentioned he said plot is more important than character, uh, which I don't agree with. And I, I think a lot of people that I've talked to today would say, no, I actually don't think he got that much right, but or that partner <laughs> right. But it's um it's been a long kind of running, you know, question among story writers and theorists. And so I was like, what's more important? The progression that occurs or the people it occurs to. And uh that's I don't know. I think Aristotle missed missed the boat on that one, but I mean I he had some good ideas. <laughs> I think different readers are looking for different things. And my yeah. people who only want a plot like a thriller type plot are probably not going to like my books and that's fine and um there are writers like like colleen hoover she has bazillions of readers who love her books they love those typically for the plot you know so there are so many readers who are looking looking for that but when i read a book i might be looking for beautiful writing or something interesting about the characters and i almost don't care as much what happens i care and i i want to i want there to be something propelling it forward but it doesn't always matter to me but to some readers it does so i think as long as you know that going into it, some readers will like the type of book you're writing and some readers won't. And that's just how it is. Nobody's going to like everything. I mean, that's good. You know, it's like we all do. Do you think of a specific reader when you're writing? Like, do you think, oh, I'm writing? Or do you just think of yourself like, literally, I want to write a book that I would want to read. Is there one uh, kind of direction or the other that you go as you're crafting your stories? I don't think that much about one reader. I sometimes, if I want somebody to laugh, you know, I'll have little jokes in there and I'll think of people I know who are funny and I'll think, will this make them laugh? Is my editor going to laugh? You know, and so I'll think about different parts in that way. Is my husband going to like the male character in this one? You know, I'll think like that, but I don't think of one reader all the way through um, for the whole thing. Now, I know you studied English literature uh, for years and and, uh, had a, a master's degree in that in that field of English literature. And I was curious, are there specific authors that you studied that have influenced your work? Or do you really kind of feel like, no, you just enjoyed reading those different authors, but that they really didn't impact your work so much? I bet they, I bet I'm influenced in ways I don't even know by mm-hmm. everything I read in college and grad school. So I don't know completely but the probably the writer I studied the most um was Virginia Woolf hmm. and I just did a lot of um 
reading of her work, I, I I did a thesis on her and on her and another writer in um graduate school, and I I read so many of her letters, and I remember just this was pre-internet. I remember just reading, getting these volumes of letters out of the library and reading, 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 reading. So I felt like I knew her life as a writer so well. And um, I think that all really sunk in. So she was probably the most influential. I, I'm not yeah. saying that I write in that style or I write those kinds of books, but I think just living the life of a writer, I think that was probably the most influential. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I've never really written or I've never really read the letters of an author too much. Interesting. Nobody writes letters anymore, so there'll never be any (laughs) more. But, you know, it's really interesting to go back and read. And she just was so prolific in her writing and in her letter writing too. And there was books and books of on volumes. I remember I was at a college up in the Midwest. I I can't remember exactly which school it was, but they had Madeline LaEngle's letters. She wrote um, A Wrinkle in Time those books and so so they had all of her letters and different manuscripts that she'd written that hadn't been published yet like boxes and boxes of stuff and Mm -hmm. apparently they said that the family uh just wanted them stored like they didn't want at this time at least they didn't want like any of her unpublished manuscripts to get published i think they said there were 11 books that she'd written that were basically finished that were just sitting there I thought that's sad. Like I want to know what what these stories were. I want them out in the world. And the more that they said, you know, no one's reading these. I'm like, the more I wanted to read their their letters. Yeah, I know. It's so interesting. I certainly wouldn't want anyone if I were to die accidentally tomorrow, I wouldn't want anyone going into my draft folder and (laughs) seeing the messy stuff I hadn't really finished. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, so when you were in school, was there anything you learned that I'm sure you learned a lot of things that were helpful or useful, but was there anything that you learned that you found to be surprisingly helpful? Um, I think I just learned to be a really careful reader. Hmm. I just think I had to read so much in such a short amount of time, especially in graduate school and to to do it quickly and do it carefully is hard to do. So I think that was probably really good practice. And then just reading things that are not what you would maybe choose to read outside your comfort zone. Uh, I need to do more of that now. I don't do that as much as I should, but I think that's excellent to learn at any age is this is what you have to read and you have to read it and understand it. Maybe you have to write about it and who cares if you like it, you still have to do it. And I think that's where you learn too. You learn from people who are not just like you and writers who are different from you. I like reading a lot of different things. People always ask me, you write thrillers, you write suspense, do you read? And I do read some, obviously, in that Mm -hmm. realm. But like, I like literary, I like mysteries, like horror, like poetry, philosophy. I read tons of different stuff. And I think you're right. You really can, um, you know, learn and grow from reading great writers, even if they're not in the typical realm that you usually might read in. So I think it's good to encourage people to, you know, try a variety of things. I also encourage people, like, if you're reading a book and it's, like, not very good, put it aside and find something else. Because there's so many amazing stories and books out there that I would hate for someone to have to be reading a book, feel like, I got to finish it just because I started this thing. I don't love it, but I'm just going to plow through. I'm like, no, don't. Like, 
Yeah, my- I do that all the time. I put things down where I didn't used to. I think I used yeah. to feel like I had to finish. And now I just feel like life is too short. There's too many good books to read. Yeah. If I don't like it, I don't finish it. And I don't feel at all bad about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I, I mean, I think so. Um, because like you said, there, you know, life, who knows, you know, life is short and but there are so many amazing stories. So if you're listening to this and you're in the middle of a book and you're telling yourself, I started this, so I have to finish it. No, you don't. You have both of our support to set it aside and find something that's even better. So the other question I had regarding, um, your, your studies was, what what is one what's like maybe the most important thing that you didn't learn but have had to learn the hard way as a working author? I didn't learn a lot about the craft of writing fiction. I mean, I think I know that there's always this debate about whether you need an MFA or don't need an MFA to to to, to publish books, and I'm proof that you don't need an MFA because I don't. But um, I did have that point in my life where I thought, why did I get an MA in English literature? Why didn't I get an MFA? And sometimes I wonder what I've gotten something out of it or what I've really felt paralyzed by it. I've heard both, I've heard both um both types of feedback um from people who have them. But I do sometimes wonder if I could have benefited from a little bit of craft, just you know, the plotting that we were talking about, how to build a story, how to do that sort of thing. Sometimes I feel like I struggle a little bit with that even now in a way that maybe I wouldn't have if I had officially studied it. But I don't know if that's true because I then part of me thinks you can just learn learn by reading. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um I had someone on and he said he has an MFA in writing. I don't remember which university it was. So we're not here to diss any specific program or anything. But he said throughout his entire master of fine arts in writing, he never had a class about story, not a single uh, class about how to write a story. I'm like, what in the end of the world? He's like, yeah, I had to pick that up on my own. And I studied screenwriting books and uh, different books like that. But he never actually had a class on what a story is and how to write a story. I just thought that was shocking It because I'm like, isn't that? literally the whole point of what you're trying to learn how could that happen how is that possible well it makes me feel a little better that i don't have one now then (laughs) yeah no kidding i don't think you need obviously i don't think that you need a master of fine arts and writing um but you can certainly grow and learn on your own by reading the craft books that are out there you know that's why i wrote two of them (laughs) try and help people who are doing that exact thing right i think maybe you gain from a program like that and again, I don't know, is you might gain some confidence in your abilities compared as compared to whoever you're in school with. Mm-hmm. But I think it can also go the other way where I think you can get beaten down and some of those workshops can be pretty brutal. And then you might lose the confidence that you had going into it. Um, and you might gain some access to the publishing world that you have that, you know, if you don't have any um, experience with that, you it, you have to sort of start from scratch. So there might be some benefit that way. I'm sure some people listening have have, have MFAs and can can tell us, but that's always <laughs> my thought about what I might have missed out on. Um, I had Don Bentley on recently, who's a thriller writer, and his one of his buddies at, was studying for a master of fine arts in writing. Again, I don't know where it was, but he wrote a story, and his professor said, "Come here, come here, come here," and called him to the side after class, and and held up the story and said, "This is the kind of thing people might want to read," and it was like. 
a negative thing in this professor's mind. It's like, why did you write this? This is the kind of thing people might want to read. He's like, uh-huh. literally, exactly. That's the whole, <laughs> isn't that the goal of what, what we're trying to do here. So that's funny. Fascinating. <laughs> um, so how did you get started writing? Back in the day, like um, I know you worked for different journals over the years and now write novels. Was there something or a moment where you said the light went on? I'm a writer. I'm going to be a writer. I think I always felt that way growing up. I think it was always where I was heading. So um, it just took me a little bit of a roundabout way to get there. I was always a huge reader as a kid. Huge. My whole family is a family of readers. So um, I was always reading. I was always good. This was the the subject I was good at in school. I was good mm. at English. I was a good writer, not great at math, can't draw, can't do really anything else, but I was always really good at, at English and writing. And I remember teachers pointing it out. This is, you know, you're a really good writer. You're a really good writer. So I had that in my head. Oh, this is the thing. This is my thing that I'm good at. And then I studied English undergrad at Providence College, which was a phenomenal education. Um, and then I don't, I just think it took me a while to realize that fiction, I guess, to get the confidence to write fiction. So I got the English literature degree, which I didn't really need in retrospect. <laughs> I think I thought I was going to go and get a PhD and be a professor. And then I realized, oh, I don't really, that's actually not what I want to do. I want to do the writing. I don't want to do obscure academic writing that nobody will read. I don't really want to <laughs> teach. It just wasn't the right step for me. I probably... Yeah into journalism school. So then when I started working, I did get jobs in journalism for a long time. And those were um, writing. I did copy editing and I did some editing, but then I was I was writing. So I was writing, but I wasn't writing fiction. So it took me just a little while to get around to, okay, this is what I really want to do. And if I'm going to do it, I have to take all the hard steps it mm. takes to get there. So I finally started taking those steps. And you mentioned a couple of times about confidence in writing and how it can maybe be shattered in different contexts and things like that. Where did your confidence come from when you started to say, okay, look, I'm going to write this novel. I'm going to write this big story. Um, Was there someone that really encouraged you at that moment? Or did you just decide, I'm just going to try it and see what happens? I had had enough small encouragements along the way, um, but it took me, some of it was internal, probably. I I always thought I could do it. It was just a matter of how and when. Um, probably a big turning point for me was I, um, I apply, we were living in Vermont for a while and I applied and got accepted to the Breadloaf Writers Conference, which some of your listeners might be familiar with. It's a pretty famous writing conference that takes place over used to, I don't know if it still is 10 days in August associated with Middlebury college. And we were in Vermont and I had, I have three kids now, but at the time I had a two-year-old and I was about to have like literally pregnant with about to go into labor with my second child. And I got this letter that I had been accepted to this, to the Breadloaf writers conference. And it's a, it's a residential, you have to go there for 10 mm-hmm. days. So, um, this was over the, this was maybe when my, my new baby was three months old or so. Well, doesn't matter, but she's born in March and the conference is in August. So I guess she was five months old. Anyway, so she was born and I said, yes, I'll go to the conference. And my whole family, including my parents and babysitters had to sort of chip in because we had uh-huh. this two-year-old and this newborn, this little newborn. And my uh-huh. husband had a job and it was not that, it was like 45 minutes from our house, but I was living there. Maybe it was an hour and a half. I can't remember, but it was kind of far away. And I had to go live there. So, you know, we had to work out 
all kinds of things about too much detail, probably bringing a breast pump to the, to the conference and <laughs> all this crazy stuff to make this happen. Um, and I think for me, that was a really eye-opening and really wonderful experience mm. because I thought, okay, because it's hard, it's hard to get into. So I thought, okay, if I got in here, I belong here and here I am with all these other people. And I think I am probably on par with at least half the people here and we're the only ones who got in out of these people who applied. So I think that was a huge confidence builder for me. And that wasn't so much of a craft situation. It was a lot of lectures and being around people. And there was one workshop, but it was just the experience of, oh, okay, now I can, now I feel like a real writer. Now I can go do it. So it still took me one more daughter and more years <laughs> to get that first novel done. But um, that was a huge turning point for me, which I don't talk about that much. So thank you for asking that question. I kind of forget about it, but it was really formative for me. No, that's awesome. And you know, it's different for everyone, but I feel like I talk to a lot of authors who have the, you know, like, where does the confidence come from to write? Because it does take, you have to, you're saying basically to someone, look, I believe that the best use of your next 10 hours is to spend it with me, no one else in the world through this book that I've written. And you're like, well, that is that egotistical? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's I don't know. It's it's something though, because basically, you know, we're saying I feel like this book is worth sharing with the world and reading. And so it has yeah. to it has to come from somewhere. When I was in uh, back in the 90s, I was writing for a magazine, and uh the editors flew those of us who were writing for it out to Gossel, Kansas, just outside of Wichita for this little weekend at a bed and breakfast writing thing. She's like, when you're not writing for us, what do you do? And I was like, well, I do this and that. I kind of work part-time here. And he goes, but you're a writer. I was like, I'm not a writer. I just work this and this. And this editor goes, no, Steve, you're a writer. And that was the moment I was like, I'm a writer. And no one had ever sort of said that to me before. And I'd never really thought in terms of that being part of my identity, but Right. It's that's wonderful. And that's wonderful that person said that to you. And then you think about all the people who might have the ability and nobody ever says that to them. Nobody ever don't. says it. So yeah. So I want so it's, anytime yeah. I can, I want to encourage people. I'll say, no, you're a writer. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about your story, this new novel that you have. This um we talked about beach trees and so on, but uh, but no matter where anyone might want to read it, tell us a little bit about the story and um a little bit more about summer stage. Sure. It takes place on Block Island, as I mentioned, over the course of a summer. And it uh, revolves around a production of William Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing that is coming to the this little island theater. It's a real theater, but they don't actually do summer theater there. So I kind of made that part up. And, um, and most of my books are told from rotating points of view. And this one is also. And one of the points of view is Timothy Fleming, who is a famous actor. He's in his early 60s. I always thought of him as like a Jeff Daniels type, um, who his career is a little bit on the wane and he's trying to figure out what to do for his next steps, but he's been pretty successful and he's from Block Island. So he returns to direct this play. um, And his ex-wife, who is in her early 40s, also trying to figure out what will become of her career as she gets older, um, is starring in the play. And then, so he's one point of view, Timothy. And then he has a niece named Sam, Samantha, who was a child actress who's now 19. And she had this sort of flirtation with TikTok fame that didn't go very well. So she's hiding from, just basically hiding out from the world. So she comes back 
her family lives just off the island. She comes back home for the summer and ends up living on the island. And then her mother, whose name is Amy, who's Timothy's sister, um, is a high school teacher and a former playwright who never really made it, who also comes over to the island to help with the production. So it's sort of these um, these three points of view that are all overlapping while this uh, while this production is in the works. Do you deal a lot with, um, it sounds like you might, but like a lot with family drama and dynamics in your in your stories? I do. Yes, that's always a part of my stories. It's so interesting to me. Yep. And this one in particular, because this is a brother-sister, the conflict and the, the relationship isn't um, husband and wife. Um, it's really mother-daughter, brother-sister. And I think those things are so interesting too. And sometimes I don't, I think this, I, I often deal with mother-daughter or parents, children, but um, I've never done the brother-sister thing. And that was really interesting. Where does the, do you think tension in those cases comes from misunderstanding or does it like misunderstanding about where things are? Or do you think the conflict might come from things that have happened in the past? I think it's a little bit of both. In my book, it's a lot of what happened in the past between this brother and sister and when their mother was dying and he went off and became famous and she didn't. And so they have they each have some resentments toward the other about how things played out. So that's a lot of their tension. Um, and then the mother daughter, it's just typical. I mean, I have three three daughters. So I, I'm so interested in I'm interested in social media and how that affects young women. I'm interested in um, parent to child dynamics of teenagers as they become their own people. So um, that's where a lot of the tension comes in between those two. When my daughters were all three teenage girls, um, I was writing one of my books and people always say, well, do you base your, cause there was a teenage girl in those stories and then a father. Uh, they're like, do you base them on your daughter? I'm like, no, I didn't really base them on that anyone you know, the character yeah. or anything. Once in a while, something would happen. And I was like, oh, that's good. I got to use it. <laughs> I just remember there's one day where I went in to knock on the door to wake my daughter up. And I knock on the door and open it a little bit. I'm like, it's time to get up. And she goes, turn off the light. I'm like, the light is off. That's literally the sun. She goes, turn off the sun. I'm like, that's a good line. I'm so using that in my book. And she's like, just leave me now. So I was like, I laughed and I went right now. Turn off the sun. Like, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's that. really good. Yeah, I do that too. I'll do little things. I don't ever base the whole character on them. I don't think yeah. any of my kids' characters are, are like my kids, but I will use little funny things they said. And if I'm writing little kids, I'll use things I remember they said a long time ago. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. I mean, we all tap into our experiences, I think, in the stories we write. And so, um, well, let's see. A couple of kind of questions I've started to ask people just because I find them very fascinating. Uh, they're not gotcha questions or anything like that, but um, but one is, what is one novel besides your latest one that everyone should read before they die? Mm, gosh, I'm always so into whatever I'm reading at the moment. So I sometimes I have trouble looking back on mm. my whole life. The book I just finished was so good. So I feel like everyone should read this book. It's called I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. And mm. I just just finished it yesterday and I thought it was phenomenal. It's a mystery that takes place at a boarding school. So part of it's the mystery um, about something that happened in the past, but part of it's just about dynamics between who we are now and who we were in high school. And it just kind of hits on every, it, it, I just thought it was masterful. So okay. I recommend that. I don't know if I would say if that would have been my answer, you know, all the time, but just because I just read that book and it's good, I want everyone to know about it. 
No, that that's that's totally legit. I know um, I'm in the middle of a number of books right now, but I always like asking people this question because it's like, all right, now I want to check out a new book and read that one. So the other question is, what is one thing you wish you could tell your younger self back when you were a teenager? Mm, Just I go back I, through the years. Teenager. I think I would say, don't worry, it's all going to turn out okay. It's amazing how many people have advice sort of like that for mm-hmm. themselves. Um, because I like how you, you know, it's don't worry, it's gonna turn out okay. And so many people have said basically, you know, don't take things too seriously and just go with, you know, it's it's gonna be okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's sort of a universal thing, I guess, that we should be teaching our teenagers i'm not sure so (laughs) well meg thanks so much for joining me today and for chatting about story and storytelling your new book and i wondered if you had any closing thoughts or words of advice for people out there who might have stories of their own that they want to um to write to share to tell what I always tell people is 100% of the people who, this is more about getting published because I know a lot of people want to get published. Um, if you have a story to tell and you don't care about getting published, tell your story. If you do want to get published, I always tell people 100% of the people who give up are not going to get published. <laughs> so being the percent that keeps trying because it, t- it can take a long time. And if you really think you have something good, don't be in that percent that gives up. Hmm. There you go persistence, perseverance, and um, see where it leads in the future. That's great. Well, is there a place online where people can connect with you, maybe follow you or find out if you're doing a book signing or when your next uh, project might come out? Yes. I have a website at megmitchellmore.com, which I haven't updated um, with my new events because we're still working them out, but I will be updating that. And I am, I'm on Facebook, but I'm more active on Instagram at Meg Mitchell Moore. So you can definitely find me there and um I answer almost every message. I think I try to answer every message I get. So feel free to message me or write to me and I will write back. That's amazing. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on. And also uh, thanks to our listeners, to all of you for for tuning in. Uh, For more information about our guests and to check out our other interviews, you can search for us wherever you listen to your podcasts or you can click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.